In Indian religion and philosophy, the concept of karma is, quote, the universal law by which good or bad actions determine future modes of an individual's existence. Basically, the goal is to be released from the cycle of birth and death, or at least to be reincarnated into something good. And good actions lead to good, and bad actions lead to bad. Karma is individualistic and, quote, independent of the gods. I get what I give. Westerners, including Christians, are quick to claim or appropriate karma. But how does this cause and effect relationship relate to Christians who do not live independent of our God? How do we understand Jesus when he speaks of a reward? In our culture, to receive an award is typically an accolade for a job well done, recognition of an accomplishment that we have achieved. When Jesus speaks of rewards, however, I'm more inclined to think along the lines of karma, that the rewards of which he speaks will be sorted out in the heavenly kingdom or the life yet to come. But similar to last week, when Jesus spoke about the harder aspects of apostleship, Today, I hear an edge to Jesus' words that I would rather ignore. A prophet's reward is often to be run out of town. Righteous persons are rarely at the top of the social order, and those who share a cup of water in the name of a disciple won't lose the reward, but what reward do they have for those who are already undervalued by society? Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Given lessons in discipleship and power and authority, the followers of Jesus are sent out by the one who sent. And they might not realize the significance of it until after the resurrection, if ever, but they are the ones who bring the presence of God to everyone they meet. And as believers, their reward is simultaneously to abide in God and to share the good news and to anticipate everlasting life. Jesus offers assurance to them that the life to come is different from this world with all its oppression and suffering. The reign of God is different. The reward of God is different from anything we know. And God's reward is different because we are not rewarded for what we do for our own sake. Sure, we can do good and feel good, and that might feel like reward enough, whether others are watching or not. But doing what is good and what we think is right, we might be wise to reckon with a sense of righteousness. Ideally, righteous people do good and are good and receive good. But what But are we doing what is good for accolades and recognition? Are we doing good with a sense of self-righteousness? What was Abraham's motivation for doing what he thought was right? We are told at the beginning of today's lesson that God tested Abraham. Now, I'm listening to another novel by Louise Penny, where the agents are diligently investigating a murder, as they do in all the murder mysteries. I know there's probably some Louise Penny fans out there. 
And the detectives rarely say anything to the witnesses or suspects without another meaning or ulterior motive. And as I read and hear the words that God says to Abraham, I'm reminded of the event that we read about last week and that in his own time likely still weighed heavy on Abraham's heart and mind, the casting out of Hagar and Ishmael. So God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him there as a burnt offering. God and Abraham both know there was another son. God and Abraham both know that Isaac is the favored one by Abraham and Sarah. And God and Abraham both know the love that Abraham has for Isaac, the love of a father for his son, and God is testing Abraham. For what? As a Christian, I hear the great commandment coming to mind, Jesus' summary of the law to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Now, Abraham didn't have the voice of Jesus in mind, but he had the word itself speaking to him, directing him. He knew the commandment, thou shalt have no other gods above me. Now, those are the words on the list of commandments above my grandmother's dining room table in the King James English translation. But in the Torah, the first commandment is in English, I am the Lord your God, the one who delivered you from Egypt. And the command to have no other gods follows thereafter. I am the Lord your God. God's relationship to God's people is personal and singular as it is corporate. And Abraham, faithful as he is, knows this, believes this, and lives this. And remember how distressed Abraham was at sending Hagar and the child away. God assured him that a nation would come from Ishmael too, but Hagar doesn't return to Abraham. Abraham doesn't have physical proof or assurance that they were safe, let alone alive, because he knew he didn't send them into the desert with enough to survive. Might Abraham have thought that the command to sacrifice Isaac was his reward for casting out Hagar and Ishmael, sending them to their death unless God did, in fact, intervene? Might Abraham have thought that God was judging him and Sarah for their love of Isaac above all others, maybe even above God? Isaac had been such a miraculous gift. Abraham was a man of faith still in conversation with God in whom he believed. And God, we might presume, was testing Abraham's obedience. And Abraham obeys what God has told him to do, thankfully intercepted at the last moment by the angel who provides the sacrificial ram. The reward for our obedience is what God says it is. And we are not independent from God. We are also bound to this mortal flesh, this earth, and its human ways. And Abraham listens to God. Abraham obeys God, and Abraham is provided for by God. And the nations to follow from Father Abraham have this exemplary model of obedient faithfulness to our God above all else, come what may. Was it right? Was it good what Abraham was commanded to do? As we have been discussing justice in our adult forum, we find that while everyone believes justice is important, there is no universal understanding of what constitutes justice, what makes things right and equitable. 
and the justice for our Hebrew ancestors, the justice around the time of Jesus, and the justice around the world today are not equal or parallel from our perspective. Neither do we know how to interpret or administer the laws among the many peoples and nations. So we could get caught up in that Abraham is told to sacrifice his son. Ours is not a tradition that condones human sacrifice, though it is a theological topic rich for debate. Our focus here is on the faithful obedience of Abraham. What is right is listening to God. What is right is putting God above all else. What is right is faithful obedience. The reward is right relationship with God, being in covenantal relationship with God. And we're not told if Abraham knows anything about Hagar and Ishmael. We don't have documented in scripture if Abraham talks to Isaac or Sarah ever again. We aren't told if God ever speaks to Abraham, making the last thing that we know God said to Abraham through that angel. Now that I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. To fear God is to have awe and reverence, a deep respect, to love God above all else. Was this test a consequence of having sent Hagar away out of a mindset of jealousy or scarcity? Was it a test to see if Abraham truly believed that God provides for God's people? Whatever the test, Abraham passes humbly and goes on to live a quiet life, presumably a good life for the rest of his days. I promise you that I would fail such a test. I would not sacrifice one of my children and I wouldn't even bother putting on a pretense that I was. No wood chopping, no trip. And yet as I think about it, I have to confess to you that I do believe we are all sacrificing our children and our future generations with our disobedience to God, depriving these generations of the kind of life that God would have them have us live in. Because if we believed as devoutly as we would hope, we would not have the poor among us. We would not have a housing crisis. We would not have food insecurity. We would not have police brutality, discrimination, racism, or riots in our streets or the streets of France or people clamoring to the borders or crossing treacherous seas, chasing or racing towards hopeful liberty. If we were prophets and righteous, we would be run out of town and condemned for a radical sense of love and justice. I think that's more likely to happen for us here at St. Paul's than some other places. But I've shared with many of you the three L words that presiding Bishop Michael Curry has repeated, naming what God is about and what God's dream for us is, life-giving, loving, and liberating. Bishop Curry says, if it's not about love, it's not about God. And I would further clarify that if what we are believing and therefore doing is not creating conditions for life and love and liberation, then we have our moral compass compromised. I do believe that we are trying to get back on track. Our moral compass is set by God's faithfulness and righteousness with us, bound to us in our covenant, our baptism. 
We are born into life in Christ that is set toward divine justice, where all of God's children, all of creation abides in God, in love. And that abiding is the peace that passes understanding, that is the kind of life, the kind of liberation, the kind of love that we seek, because that is where we come from. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. We are not independent from God, nor are we separate from one another. Our greatest freedom is in the selfless giving of ourselves to unconditional love and acceptance. Paradoxically, our great surrender is our ultimate liberation. In completely giving, whether it is of ourselves or of all that we love above all else, we find what is right and good. We find what it means to have true, true reward, not in the eyes of this world, but in the eyes of our Creator. And maybe we'll get little tastes of that reward sooner than later, or maybe all will be revealed when we meet Christ face to face. But step by step and day by day, we have the gift and, in a way, our kind of own test to choose life, to choose love, to choose liberty for all. Amen.